Well, it is good to see everybody as much as I can see you. There's lots of new or newer faces here. My name's Rob Belfour. I'm one of the, the pastors here. And if this is your first time at Calvary, if you really like it, don't worry. There's more good stuff to come. And if you really don't like it, this is the worst Sunday you'll ever have here. Make sure to come back next week. All right. Um, I do want to just say a couple quick things. Thank you for the video announcement. Uh, I think dad's humor is the highest form of humor. It's kind of developed to attempt to be funny to children of all ages while not sliming them or giving them any bad habits that they'll go and do at school and get in trouble for. So it's a very particular kind of humor, and it's difficult, but it is the best kind of humor. The other thing is, I just want to give another pitch for that perspectives course that's coming up. It's a course to stir up vision and passion for missions in the church. If you have felt wronged at all by any of these lockdown requirements, that we've gone through. If you felt wronged or put out, the best response is revenge. Okay? The best response to being wronged is revenged. And the best revenge a Christian has against being mistreated is evangelism and missions, is spreading the kingdom of God. If you think man has been doing monkey business, the best response is to spread God. And this course will help empower and impassion you to spread the kingdom of God in this world so that the next time we'll all do better. Amen? You think, what have I got myself into? I'm only half joking. But I would love to see as many people there as possible. We have the next slide. Today the message is called Emotions Remastered. And I want to start off just by saying, I'm talking about emotions today. And my part of my mission is to not say today, I want you to have more emotions or to say, I want you to have less emotions. That's not my goal today. And it is not my goal today to say, I want you to have more of some kind of emotion and less of another kind of emotion. That isn't my goal today, okay? That might be in the future, but today I don't have any intention specifically to make you feel more one way and less another way. That's not the goal. The goal today is this. I want to call and advocate and, and persuade us to want our emotional lives to be completely under the Lordship of Jesus. I'm not calling you to a specific emotion. I'm calling you to a man. And I'm not calling you to try to achieve something or stop something. I'm calling you to someone who has achieved, achieved everything and is master over everything. I'm not calling you to be happy today or sad today, to grieve today or mourn today or rejoice today. I'm calling you to Jesus. And we'll see how well I do at this mission. But I just... Right off the bat, I want to say I'm not setting a standard for feelings this morning. I'm calling us to Jesus in this thing called emotional life. And it's part of where we as a leadership team are wanting to 
lead the church. You might remember about 500 years ago, if you're a part of Calvary Chapel, we went through this vision statement process right before all this weird COVID stuff happened. Everyone remember this? Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers sent out some ideas about a vision statement and we got some feedback and we were working on this. How much is a score? Depends if it's hockey or basketball. Anyhow, this is actually the reworked statement. At Calvary Chapel, we live to love and worship God, to multiply passionate and obedient disciples of Jesus Christ, and to proclaim the kingdom by his word and the Holy Spirit. And I know anybody can read this and say, you know, you could make it a little bit better by changing this or changing that, and that's great, but we're not going to change the words. Why don't you just change and do it? Amen? If you have a better vision statement, go ahead and live it. This is what we're working with. This isn't scripture. It's not meant to be perfect. It's just meant to be a tool to help focus our energies as a church. And so this message today is part of this growing as passionate and obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you think about your emotions much? If you're a regular Canadian, you're thinking about them all the time. You're experiencing them all the time. You're thinking about them all the time. You're kind of wishing they would change all the time. Or you would like some of your emotions to stay and maybe intensify and some of your emotions to go and never come back. You want to do the Gollum ministry on that. Even never come back to your anxiety or whatever it is. You know, anybody? So during the, I had a few weeks off and during that, me and the boys watched the entire Lord of the Rings extended version in one day. I kind of died out. It's like 11 hours straight. I died during the last movie, but sorry, it's just it went in there and it hasn't gotten out yet. So I can't promise that will be the only Lord of the Rings reference this morning. There may be more. Brace yourselves. Anyhow, we have emotions. And we have, as people made in the image of God, emotional lives. And as I was saying at the beginning, I I want to call us to think of our emotional lives as something that um, needs to come under the lordship of Jesus and is best lived under the lordship of Jesus. They're, They're just such a big part of who we are. Like, what are you feeling right now? Anybody feeling bored yet? Don't put up your hand. You're welcome to. I, I don't care. Um, anybody excited? Anybody happy to be together? Anybody frustrated with something? Anybody experiencing social anxiety? That's something that people experience when they go to church. You know you're supposed to be here, but you don't actually love small talk, and you're always a little bit worried what your cowlick's doing on the back of your head, and so you just can't wait for this to be over and get home, and you know you've done your duty, and you get six days to not have to come and be part of a large crowd. Anybody feeling that? It's, it's a part of just existing as a human being. And it, I could be wrong, but it seems to me one of the things that makes us uniquely human is that we have huge emotional experiences and huge emotional lives. Like dogs do too, but many, many, many of God's creatures aren't emotional beings. Have you ever seen a slug cry? I mean, maybe when you pour salt on them, that's tears oozing out, but I don't think so chemically. It's something unique about us. And so... We, we need to talk about uh, our emotions. And I want to just take a few minutes to, at least from my perspective, contrast 
a Christian biblical understanding of emotions versus kind of what our culture does with them. Okay, maybe we'll start with the, with our culture, our Western culture. If you ever hear me say Western, I mean mostly the English-speaking world plus France and Germany and stuff like that. The world that's really been influenced by Greek and Christian thought over the last 2,000 years that's found its expression in, in kind of the cultural, major cultural influence of the English-speaking world throughout the world. Right now, English is the biggest language in the world and and and. People from all over the world want to learn English so they can engage in business and education, stuff like that. That's Western culture. It's got its roots in, in Greece and Jerusalem and Rome and has grown and spread throughout the world with lots of history. But that's what I mean. But currently in the Western world, there are two um, parts of how we do life, two parts of our culture that have a really big impact on our, our emotional lives. Uh, Somebody checked out and postmodernism. Uh-oh, I hit you with a couple of isms. Somebody checked out right now. But this is what I mean, okay? Secularism is this idea that we can do life politically, educationally, relationally without any reference to God. You can have a stable government without ever having to mention God. You can get an education from kindergarten to Ph.D. without ever having to deal with God. You can do life without God. And secular is just a Latin word. It means age, and it means just focusing on this age. We, we, we want to do life without thinking about a God in heaven or thinking about an afterlife. You can decide what's right and wrong without thinking about heaven and hell. That's that John Lennon song, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven above us only sky that it's just secularism we just have these days and if you can't see it look at it through a telescope or a microscope it doesn't exist and we'll do all of life without any reference to god that's called secularism and, and we experience here here in steinbeck we go to a public school where a lot most people have some kind of faith but you need to lobby the government every year so that your kids can go to a secret shameful place and talk about the creator of the universe who is goodness and love and is the lord over all knowledge and and all history and all sciences were invented and created by him but if you want to talk about him in school you need specific legal permission to hide away and do it because the dominant culture is we want to do this without any reference to god now connected with that and as an outgrowth of that has been, and I don't know what they call what's going on now, but at least in the 90s and the early 2000s, what became very popular was this philosophy called postmodernism, and their big idea there was that there is no such thing as a capital T truth. There's lots, there's, there's lots of opinions about what's right and wrong. There's lots of opinions about what's good and bad, but that's all there is is opinions. And there is no such thing as real truth, true truth, like Bible truth. There is no such thing as a perspective that is right. And you can see how those things kind of work together. There's no God in heaven. We can have good, successful lives without any reference to God or heaven and hell or what happens after you die or where you even came from or where even life came from beyond evolution. And because of that, there is no such thing as true truth. And you've got your truth and I've got my truth. You'll hear that people on the TV sometimes tell, sorry, TV, I'm so old. 
You'll, you'll hear that sometimes when you're watching things on your iPhone, when you download on the YouTube, on the TikTok. You get the tickety tickety talk and it has nothing to do with the clock. Ah, sorry. People talking about, well, that may be your truth, but that's not my truth. That's postmodernism. Okay? So you've got these two huge ideas that, like, um, the smell of a pig barn on its employees are just soaked into everything. Chicken barn? Is that better? Pottery barn? I don't care. These ideas are just so soaked into everything. In my humble opinion, what this does is for people, people are wired to actually believe that things are true, though. Right? We, we need to know that there's something true. We need to know there's something right and there's something wrong. We need to know that there's an up and down in this world. But if, there, if, it, if there's no God in heaven and there's no truth out there, where's the last place to go looking for truth? It's in here. And what's really, in my opinion, happened in our culture is that human emotions have now taken the place of capital T truth and almighty God, all heaven and earth bow down. What I'm feeling is true truth. Bow down. Because there's no God in heaven and there's no truth in the world there's just truth in the feelings land, and that's all we've got. Which is why I, I think in many places in our culture, emotions have been so intertwined with ex- explosions and violence and, and stuff like that. Because if someone comes to you and says something that interferes with your emotional life, now we no longer really consider it a disagreement. Now it's a, it's a kind of violence. And there are people who will go to congresses in the United States and say, these ideas are violence because these ideas make us feel like something bad and feelings are God. And so when my feelings go bad, that's an attack on my, my God and myself. How I feel is me. And this is our world. You are how you feel. And one of the things I think we need to see as we're looking at different ways of looking at life is that that is not how many people exist. And that is not how anyone in the Bible existed. This is us. And as a part of that, part of our culture as well, is that we have this love of autonomy, okay? So there's no God in heaven telling us how to live, and there's no shared truth telling us how you have to live. And so we get to be very autonomous. Autonomous just means a self-law. We get to be a law unto ourselves. We get to decide what's right and wrong. We get to decide what we're going to do and not do. We get to decide what's, what's best for me and, and at the very best, it's arm's distance for other people. I'm independent and my feelings are outrageously important that's common culture for us today do you, do you ever do you see that do you, is there do you think there might be an increase of that of that in your life or in, maybe you see it in other places that's not everybody 
because like any cultural movement, you have a countercultural movement, and so there is also a countercultural movement that's very anti-emotion. Anybody heard the uh, facts don't care about your feelings slogan? That's becoming uber, uber, uber popular. Facts don't care about your feelings. That's a countercultural movement that sees this rejection of truth and this rejection of anything in heaven and this exaltation of feelings are God and feelings are all there is. And they look at that and they say, this isn't working. And so they're going to be anti-emotion, anti-feeling. Facts don't care about your feelings. And I want to say that I don't think either of these things are true. Feelings are not God. Jesus is God. And feelings are not nothing because God invented feelings. Okay, so let's, I'm going to bring you into a bit more of a biblical perspective on emotions. And again, I'm not judging anybody if they have strong emotions or weak emotions. Some people are very emotional people. Sometimes entire people groups get labeled as emotional people groups. You may have heard that Italian people, I don't think we have a ton, so I can mention it here without anybody. People say Italians are very emotional people, whereas there are other people groups that aren't typically very emotional, at least not outwardly, like your typical historical Manitoba Mennonite community isn't known for being a super emotional people group. You see the difference there, some people groups? And some individuals within those groups are more emotional and some are less emotional. And some emotional people can look at some people and be like, you are a corpse that breathes. When will you have a feeling? And some less emotional people will look at more emotional people and be like, can't you just be the thing for five minutes? Right? Anybody? Is that your marriage? Anybody? Is that your family life? Anybody? So I'm not judging. What I'm saying is Jesus is the judge. That's what I'm saying today. Jesus is Lord. And so from a biblical perspective, and this is going to be very quick, and I apologize for that, but I think a Christian, before we enter into the emotional warfare of our cultures, needs to start off by saying emotions are a gift from God. He invented them, and he gives his people those things. Joy, the capacity for joy, the capacity for sadness, the capacity for fear, the capacity for hope, and everything in between, all the millions of different words that we use and word pictures we use to describe emotions and feelings, those are a gift from God. Say thank you. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the the Father above or the Heavenly Father. Your emotions are a gift. Whatever they've been doing to you lately, you can say thank you. Whether you think they're strong or weak or good or bad. You know, we're sinners. They're all bad sometimes. And none of them are exactly perfect yet. But they are a gift. And they're a gift from God in order to experience him and his creation. Uh, I'm, I'm riffing off of one of my favorite authors these days, a theologian named John Frame. I found him very helpful because... You know, book writing people, people who write theologies, they tend to poo-poo emotions quite a bit because they're thinker types. They live to, like, think and write, and they're often not emotional types. And and I think he does a good job of not falling into his own potential weaknesses. And he just says, if you think about it, your emotions are there to help you experience God in this world. They're they're like eyes. You see with your emotions. They're like... Your nose, you experience the world through your emotions. Let me give you an example if this is a new thought for you. 
When you think about the future, do you have feelings about it? Usually, you either have hope or excitement, like those, the good ones, or you might have fear or dread, the bad ones, or anxiety, right? Those feelings when you think about the future. And when I was a kid, we had a bunch of dogs, and every once in a while there'd be a stiff breeze. Maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't. And our dogs would, like, stick their nose into the breeze, and they do that nose wiggle thing that dogs can do. And they're sniffing the wind. And I think there's something so similar to smelling the wind to see what's blowing at you and feeling about the future. You're sniffing the wind about the future. And then the, the triggers go off inside you, and whether or not you, you know, mentally perceive the future as being a good thing, then you'll feel towards that. And you can check your feelings. Okay, I am dreading the future. Why is that? You're perceiving God's universe through your feelings. It's like they're like eyeballs. They're like ears. They're like, it's like a nose. You're perceiving what you think is going on with your feelings. When you're standing in worship and you are happy to be worshiping, your feelings are telling you God is good and he is worthy of glory. It's talking to you. It's giving you information. And the thoughts you have about God are being interpreted as good through your feelings. And we could talk more about this stuff, but I just I don't have any faith to poo-poo feelings because... They're meant to help us know God and the universe. When you're angry about something, if you're doing well with the Lord, your anger should be telling you something's wrong and I need to do something about it. It's an alarm bell. It's that red blinky light. It's like when the tornado's going to come to Steinbeck and your phones start going off at 3 in the morning, which they didn't on Friday, but they could have. Beep, beep, beep. Wake up, do something. You're in danger. There's a problem. You need to act. It's talking to you. You're perceiving a threat through your feelings of anger. And because they're a gift from God and because they're intended to serve him and to serve us in experiencing the world and helping us function in the world, ultimately our emotions are meant to glorify God. And what I mean by that is our emotional lives are meant to make God look great, both to us and other people. It's like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, let your good light or let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and give glory to your father in heaven. And I think it's fair to tweak that to say, let your light shine before men so that they can see your your emotions and give glory to your father in heaven. I think that's a fair tweak. It's like a specific application of a general principle. Your feelings can be a very good deed or not. But I would like us together to not fall into the one trap of saying that emotions are God or my emotions are God or my emotions are all I am. And I would also like us not to fall into the trap of becoming an anti-emotion people because both of those are still very much worldly. And I'm calling for us to have a heavenly emotional life by coming underneath the Lordship of Jesus by faith. And letting him disciple our emotional life. Amen? Does that make sense? Because we want to have our, our actions discipled. We say, hey, let's get together and go to this, this, this conference, or not conference, this teaching course on missions. We're going to learn with our heads and maybe learn some skills with our hands. We're going to be discipled to do the kingdom. Well, guess what? Part of what's going to happen there is 
their emotions, their feelings about other people groups, their feelings about God, their feelings about um, the consequences of going into eternity without God are going to be transformed, are going to be discipled by the truth of God's word so that their feelings are working with truth and working with actions in order to glorify God and do other people good. That's part of what's going on, but we probably would never talk about it like that. You need to get your emotions in, in line with the kingdom's mission. We never talk like that. Why? Because we think that emotions are like the weather. They just happen. They blow in. The clouds just blow in. Or the sunshine's just there in the morning. My emotions just happen. And I say, maybe you can think like that as long as you're willing to say, and Jesus is God over the weather. Jesus blows in the clouds when he needs to rain some crops. And Jesus sends the sunshine when he needs to dry out the flood. And Jesus talks to the storm and says, shut the hockey sticks up and get out of here. Because I want to sleep in this boat because you don't bug me, storm. But these fishermen are panicking and they're waking me up. So get out of here so I can go back to bed. Amen? You can believe that your emotions are like the weather as long as you also confess that Jesus is God over the weather. And today, I am not telling you to change anything about how you feel. Don't go there yet. I have no idea how long I've been after four, which is a scary thing for me. Okay, let's go to the next slide. I want to take us to this one place in Scripture. Maybe we'll jump some other places. And I want to just paint some pictures or show us some places where we can see Jesus being God over feelings in order to expand how we think about Jesus and welcome him to be Lord over our lives and to bring ourselves to him in more helpful ways, perhaps. Here is part of the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Has anybody been studying the Sermon on the Mount during this COVID time? There's been more than a few people who have found that this is a good time. Great. Thank you, Hans, for being in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon, sorry, yeah, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through the end of 7, I think it is, is, is a discipleship handbook. It takes many of the teachings for discipleship in Jesus' life and puts it all together in a few chapters. Not only teachings, but it puts them together so that if you want to be transformed, you go there to hear some of what Jesus taught about being transformed as a disciple of Jesus. And he starts off with these beatitudes, which are these world upside down blessings, where Jesus starts to declare these things as being blessed by God that nobody really thinks is being blessed by God. But because Jesus has now come as the Son of God and heaven come down and he has come to bring an end to the fallen world. He's come to bring an end to the world that is wrecked by sin and controlled by sin and is ruled by death and is ruled by destruction. He's come to end the reign of Satan over humanity. As the Savior of the world, he pronounces these upside down blessings. And starts by saying, blessed are you, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does being poor in spirit sound like yummy emotions? 
Yeah, I used the word yummy. I'm not going to apologize. And I don't care how you feel about it. Yes! See, that's not where I want to go. I don't think rebelling against how other people feel is a sign of Christian maturity. Which sometimes we can do that. Oh, I'm controlled by how other people feel. That's why I'm going to go kick other people's feelings in the teeth and then I'm going to be free. No, rebellion isn't freedom in the kingdom. Freedom in the kingdom is knees before Jesus. Because Jesus gives freedom. Jesus is freedom. Everything but Jesus is a slavery of one kind or another. Emotions without Jesus is slavery, no matter what you're feeling or trying to feel. So Jesus grants freedom. Freedom is something that can only come by the grace and gift of God, true freedom. And so Jesus is describing true freedom. Blessed, blessed, happy are you, he says, if you're poor in spirit. What? That's upside down. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. There is some mourning and sadness to do in this world until Jesus returns. Blessed are you when you mourn. Nobody who's mourning feels I'm blessed. But Jesus is turning the world upside down. For you shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. Nobody who's being like humble, like embarrassingly humble in public. That's what meek is when you're embarrassingly humble in public. That's not a yummy emotion in the world's sight. Nobody wins. America's got talent for meekness. But you win the, the earth, according to Jesus. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you love hungering and thirsting? Or do you love finishing off your Big Mac value meal from McDonald's? We like the fullness. Salt, fat, sugar, heat. Now, that's what we, that's blessed. Even if you're on a diet, I'm not going to apologize. That's blessed. But Jesus is bringing a different way of doing things, which is the capital T true way of doing things and is the God in heaven, his perspective, right way of doing things. I like saying right like that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed. What do we like? Blessed are the winners. And we also like, blessed are the judges, people who are winning the judgments. We think they're the, the great ones. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then here we go. This is, blessed are those who persecute, those who are persecuted. And then verse 11, which is where I'm going here. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, this is what I want to say about this. I've been kind of wandering up to this thing here. I just want us to look at this thing. As regular Canadians, we are a million miles away from thinking that being reviled from people is a blessing. Because as people who, with this whole like autonomous, I'm just me independent, but also having huge expectations for positive emotions. How we tend to live our lives is like, I want to be my true self and I want to be celebrated by everybody on the internet while I do it. Amen? Anybody, anybody's Instagram feed full of people like that? I want to be a true individual who doesn't go with the crowd just like everybody else and I want everybody to support me while I do it. 
Smash that like button. Ring the bell. Subscribe. Anybody? So when you live this life where we're all trying to be our true selves by being individuals and we want to feel great about it and have other people participate in the feeling of greatness by helping us feel great about it, to have Jesus say, you're going to be blessed when everybody hates your guts in public. Emotionally, we cannot go there. Amen? Without a miracle. All I need is a miracle. All I need is you. Can we sing that next next Sunday? No? I've got a kid who's in love with 80s music right now, and I don't know if it helps, but hey, whatever. I definitely love them. Okay, so you're with me. Blessed when people revile you and talk bad about you and we, we might say, this is an impossible feeling. This is no, just no. And there's nothing that can happen about this. Watch what Jesus does next. He says, rejoice and be glad. He says, rejoice and be glad. He literally commands your emotions to be opposite of what should or would naturally happen. Do you see that? He doesn't say, like, this would be time and... I'm not against sympathy. <laughs> I love sympathy. Nines, any nines in the room? Don't know what I'm talking about. I love hanging out with you. But nobody would necessarily feel like they're receiving that blessed mercy if Jesus says, you're blessed when people hate your gut on my account, and what I want you to do is be glad about it. But if as typical Canadians we say, not going to do it, that literally is rebellion. Isn't it? When God talks and tells you to do something and you say, no, it's impossible, that isn't obedience. That remember we wanted to, to help people become obedient disciples of Jesus? Vision statement? What does obeying this command look like? It literally looks like rejoicing and be glad, being glad when people hate you because of Jesus. That's the literal command, and literal obedience would mean having those emotions in that situation. Are you stumped yet? And what I want to say this morning is I am putting my faith in Jesus that this is not impossible. And that it can be obeyed. And what I think one of the things Jesus is doing here is he he often will do in in his uh, teachings, he'll do an extreme and say everything not as far as that extreme counts as well. Remember he says, consider the, the, the grass of the fields, you know, consider that weirdo hemp field out in the corner of town that feels like uh, the, the world of pot has gotten a lot closer than it was a couple of months ago. Consider the hemp field, how it's so huge and green and luscious and looks like a little forest. Solomon, King Solomon and all his, all of the galas of Hollywood don't look nearly as beautiful as the fields that God makes. And if God will close the fields of canola with that looks just like sunshine on green. If God will make a billion sunflowers 
that are just the most amazing. How do they even survive the wind? But if you can make a million, billion sunflowers with every single one of those little flame petals that look like they're fire coming off of a hot coal standing in the sun, if you can just, and those things are all toast. If it gets too hot, they're dead. And even if they do a great job of growing, we're going to eat them. They're toast. If he will glorify those miserable plants, How much more will he glorify you and take care of you and make you beautiful? He does that, right? This is one of those things. If God says rejoice when people go on the internet and say, Calvary Chapel is the worst church ever. You're supposed to go. How much more so when your kid fills his diaper before bed when he totally knows how to use a body. Right? You hear me? If it's the people trying to kill you, be glad. Everything not as bad as that. The Lord might have something to say about. Amen? I've never danced like that before and I can totally feel it along my spine right now. Oh my goodness, this is on the internet. No! No, no, get off your meme-generating phones right now, please. Oh, this is not the kind of reviling I was hoping for out of this message. Oh, I feel just naked up here right now. Oh, terrible. What have I done? Oh, my poor wife. Happy anniversary, darling, you know. Yeah, you're welcome. 18 years, and this is the best you've got, Rob. <sighs> That's terrible. Okay, before I do any more damage, I'm going to try to wrap this up. I want to end today by giving us two pictures for relating to Jesus in our emotional lives that I, I hope will be things that we can help grow us. Okay, so again, I'm not expecting anybody to be different after this message emotionally. I don't want that pressure. I don't want that expectation. Um, real change is often slow change in the kingdom, okay? And so you'll waste the truth I'm trying to share with you if you think, well, now I've heard the message and I'm never going to be sad again, or I'm never going to be angry again because I've learned the truth. That's probably not going to be the result, and I don't think it's wise to put that pressure on, right, that expectation on this. But I do want us to get, have two pictures here of our emotional lives that we can do. One is kneeling before the throne and one is kneeling before the cross. Kneeling before Jesus on the throne and kneeling before Christ on the cross. Why do we need a picture emotionally of kneeling before Jesus on the throne? Just like getting, getting low and bowing down before him because we need a picture of authority. Jesus said that, I think it's in Luke, in the Sermon on the Plain, he says, Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, if you will not do what I tell you? And so in the mind of Christ, his lordship, he expects it to result in us wanting to obey him. Does that make sense? When we say, you're the Lord, we're confessing, you, you have the right to tell me to change. And that's what the picture of the throne reminds us, that Jesus is sitting on the seat of highest authority in the world. He has the right. 
and the power to tell Robert Belfort what to do in every single aspect of my life with my money and my time and my thoughts. Not my thoughts. I love my thoughts. I'm a bit of a feeler, but I love my thoughts more than my feelings. Hallelujah. Like, I love my thoughts, but Jesus has the right to tell me what to think. What to do and how to parent. And so I need a picture of getting underneath what Jesus has commanded. And for me, that picture is the picture of the throne. Jesus, in my emotional life, when it comes to my capacity to be angry, I want to change to be just like how you tell me to do it. You say, in your anger, do not sin. Lord, when I'm angry, I don't want to sin anymore. I sin lots when I'm angry. And Lord, I want to be able to experience that, that gift of anger without sinning against you in it. God, I humble myself under your authority. I don't believe in secularism. I don't believe you can have a good life or a good country or a good city ignoring the God who made everything. I think you're supposed to be Lord over everything. And so I make you and I receive you as Lord over everything I am, including my emotional life and everything that means. I'm coming to your throne. And so that's when I, why, when I read Jesus saying, Rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted. I have to come to the throne of that. I can't just say, can't do it. No, he's speaking to me from his throne. And my job is to say, okay, that's, that's, your, that's your call. I believe you. But because our emotional lives, like the rest of our lives, are tainted by sin and subject to temptation, we know we're not going to do Christ's commands. Right? So what do we need? We need the cross. When Jesus came on this earth, he lived the perfect life. The perfect life. And what he didn't do was just go back to heaven and say, now your turn. What he did was he lived the perfect life and then he went to the most painful, torture-filled, rejection-filled, injustice-filled death. And on his cross, it wasn't just a man being killed by people. It was the Son of God coming to be a perfect sacrifice. And on the cross, while he was suffering, he was absorbing and enduring all of the wrath of God that we deserve for our rebellion against him, for wanting to live a life without him, for wanting to be independent from him, for wanting to just give in to whatever we're feeling, whether God likes it or not. That deserves a response from God. And that response from God was completely absorbed by Christ on his cross. And with his shed blood, he bought for us perfect forgiveness for our every sin and perfect covering for our every emotion. Every time our emotions don't do what we hoped they would or what do what God hoped they would, he died for that so that we could come to him for rescue and find love and grace and acceptance and peace. And the helper above every helper and the counselor above every counselor, he purchased that at the cross. And the cross is also the place where sin dies and where the devil is defeated. The scripture says on the cross, all the powers and principalities were humiliated openly by Jesus' death on the cross. When you want to get free from your culture, when you want to get free from the demons, you go to the cross because that's where they get killed. That's where they get shut down. That's where they get obliterated. So you kneel before the cross. God, I'm feeling all these feelings. I come for the cross. I need a friend in heaven. I need a forgiver in heaven. I need to know that when I come to you, everything is okay from your side because they're not okay on my side. And that's what the cross is for. So that even where I might hate myself, when you come to the cross, you're not allowed to hate yourself. Because Jesus has forgiven you. You're not allowed to rebel against his feelings for you by having feelings that are rebellion against his feelings for you. 
That's what the cross is for. You don't condemn yourself at the cross because Satan's condemnation is silenced at the cross. That's why we need a cross for our feelings. We need to be able to get low. And the cross led to the resurrection. The cross is where what needs to die dies so that what needs to come back to life can come back to life. You want to be transformed? You go to the cross so that Jesus will raise you from the dead. And this is why I'm saying it again. I don't want you to try to change this Sunday. I want you to put your faith in the one who's able to completely transform you this Sunday. I want you to see that my emotional life is just as important and just as subject to transformation by Jesus and the Holy Spirit as every other part of my life. And it needs to be saved just like every part of my life. But Jesus loves to do it, wants to do it, can do it, and will do it for the glory of his Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. The throne and the cross, kneeling before both in our emotional lives, is, I think, a good place to start in having our emotions remastered by Jesus for his glory. So let me pray for us. Father, I am convinced that as we've talked about emotions this week, people have been having thoughts. Maybe they've been thinking about persistent emotions that bug them. And I pray, Father, you would help us instead of thinking, what's the little trick I can do to get free forever? Instead, we would come to Jesus. Jesus, I'm angry a lot. I want to come to your throne where you say there's a way to be angry and a way not to be angry. I want to come to the cross where I'm completely forgiven and have hope for transformation. And Lord, I know that this week, even if we're not feeling this now, you are probably preparing right now a situation for everyone to see what's really going on in their hearts so that you can tap them on the shoulder and say, this is where I want to bring the gospel for you. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us become awake to what you want to do in your Lordship next. In Jesus' mighty name. And, Father, I pray where I was talking the gospel about Jesus coming to rescue sinners in love and to give them new life by grace. Lord, whoever needs to hear that, I pray that you would make that truth alive in their hearts and souls for their good. Amen.